Just after 9 o'clock, good morning. This is Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. And coming up at 9.30 is the Sunny Melindra Show. But the inspirational hour begins now with God and Our Dogs with Meg Greer. The following is sponsored by GodandOurDogs.com. And this is Bernie Radio. Hi, I'm Ashley Pfeiffer. And since 1916, Kendall County Abstract's goal is to be the premier title company in Kendall County. Kendall County Abstract provides real estate closing services and title insurance to both individuals and businesses. All work and research are done in-house. So when you have questions and want high-quality service, Kendall County Abstract is ready to help. Call 830-816-2131 or find us at kcac.net. Discover a new perspective. God and our dogs. Welcome to God and Our Dogs with Meg Greer. Join us online at GodandOurDogs.com. Subscribe, share, and stay. Now here's your host, Meg Greer. Welcome to God and Our Dogs. This is Meg Greer, your host. Our vision on God and Our Dogs is to rely on God the way our dogs rely on us. How does it happen? The same way our other relationships grow, spending time together, learning about one another, developing trust, and experiencing transformation. Stories shared on God and Our Dogs bring aha moments. Aha moments transform us as we see ourselves from God's perspective. Trusting and relying on God renews, creates, and elevates our lives. You can find us at GodandOurDogs.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at God and Our Dogs. Thanks to the folks at Wheeler's Western Outfitters for a great spot to record our show. Our guest today is Dick Powell. Dick is a retired pastor and president of Mo Ranch Conference Center and Camp in Hunt, Texas. He was also a successful businessman. He describes himself as curious about the world, which he is currently expressing by pursuing a doctorate of theology just for fun. Welcome, Dick. We're so glad to have you on God and Our Dogs. Thank you, Meg. It's wonderful to be here and to see you and Jim again after a long uh, absence. Yes, too long, but we're so glad you're here and we can get to see you. So you're one of those people that have had dogs either in your family or in your life for your whole life. Um, How did that all begin for you as a kid? I remember my grandfather uh, who lived in a little town in North Carolina called Brunswick, which is about 50 miles west, west of Wilmington, he always had dogs. And then as a little boy growing up, I cannot remember never not having a dog. Uh-huh. My mother was also uh, uh, a lover of dogs and had dogs up until she just got to where she could not care for them. So my first, rem- my first m- memory of a dog was a dog I told you about called Chippy, uh, which, by the way, Pat Conroy, who was the great Southern author's dog, first dog was a great dog, Chippy. So we had that in common. But uh-huh. Chippy was my first dog. We lived in um, what I think was an idyllic place as a little boy growing up. We lived in a place called Middle Sound, North Carolina. Our house overlooked the intercoastal waterway. There was a barrier island on the other side of the waterway, which is now Figure Eight Island, which was then as well. And then the Atlantic Ocean, we had woods all around us and then very few neighbors, but neighbors. Mr. Best had a store about a half a mile or a mile from our house. I 
it grows with the telling, but uh-huh. I would ride on my bicycle up there uh, and get things at the store, and Chippy would always follow me. And I was six or seven years old, and back in those days, you could, as a six- and seven-year-old, get on your bicycle and ride to Mr. Best's store and get things. And if you didn't have any money, then your dad would just pay for them when he came home that day. <laughs> and Chippy would follow me. Uh-huh. Well, one day Chippy was following me, and uh, uh, some new folks had moved into a house that, that was along the way, and their dog came rushing out, took a big hunk out of Chippy's Ooh. rear. Wow. Well, Chippy went scurrying home. I went after her. I actually had to kick the dog off of Chippy. Uh, went after her and got home, and, and my mother took care of her and salved and that sort of thing. And so we were going the next day to go back to the store, and Chippy was following me. I was trying to get her not to follow, which she did. But interestingly, Chippy recalled that event and then detoured into the woods, took a route, and by the time I got to Mr. Best's store, there she was waiting for me. When we left, she went back that way as I rode my bike down the road. So, you know, one of the first things I noticed is that dogs are actually pretty smart. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes humans, not so much, you know. Sometimes, you know, we do things repeatedly wrong. But the other thing that I recall about Chippy, and I think the the, the other thing that stands out with, with her was she died. Uh-huh. I came home from school. She was always waiting for me at the bus when Mr. Jim would drop us off. She was always there, uh, and she wasn't there one day, and I went in, and she had died. Um, I don't know. I think it was my first time I'd ever experienced death of any sort but it was also something else that became I became pointedly aware of when my dad came he was a good elder in the Presbyterian church and um, he came home and we buried Chippy and he said some words over I don't recall the words but I do remember this he we said together the 23rd Psalm and we prayed together the Lord's Prayer and I distinctly remember the poignancy of that moment was that those things the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer now had concrete and real meaning for them. They were no longer abstract. Yes. I'd uh-huh. heard them every Sunday, not the 23rd Psalm, but the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in the little chapel on the boardwalk where we attended church. But as a six or seven year old, you just don't kind of grasp them. Yes. But when you connect them with the death of your little dog, you do. Yes. So that was one of my first recollections. In a way, it was sad, but you could also see the joy and the hope in that by having the meaning of having the service well, for it's, Chippy. It's ritual, and I'm becoming, as I've aged, much more aware of the importance of ritual in our lives. And I think that we've, we've diminished it, particularly in the West. We've diminished ritual a lot, uh, or we've made them almost plastic and rote. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ritual of burying Chippy, the ritual of praying over Chippy, the ritual of saying the Lord's Prayer, of uh, the ritual of saying the Psalms, they, they take... They move beyond the abstract into the concrete at that point. They become real, become part of our lives. You had an, another neighborhood dog that you connected with, <laughs> yeah. too, as a kid. Yeah. Moo Moo. Moo Moo was actually the Calder's dog. We lived on this. We moved from Middle Sound um, because my dad didn't like the 13-mile commute to work. <laughs> wow. um, and so we moved from Middle Sound, this idyllic place. And then we moved to a place called Klein Road in Wilmington which was in town. And it was like 
Well, we had a reunion there about 10 years ago. We had 125 people show up for a Klein Road reunion. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You guys had a community. We we did. It was community. Well, Moo Moo, we walked to Chestnut Street uh, Junior High. At the time, uh, Chestnut Street was first through ninth grade, so I went there for actually the fourth grade through the ninth. But um, we walked to school every day, and Moo Moo would walk with us and then return home. And then when school let out, Moo Moo would be there waiting for us and walk all the way back home with us every single day. And I got to thinking, you know, we, we've been told dumb dogs, mm-hmm. but Moo Moo, he had the best Rolex in town because <laughs> his, <laughs> his, his time was impeccable. Yeah. I mean, his timing was just right. And it was just, you know, he, he was just one of those dogs. And sadly, uh, I experienced death with Moo Moo. Moo Moo, I actually got run over by a train. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I don't and even so, want to picture that. Well, it it wasn't a pretty picture, but the reality is that you know, it it starts to teach you that life has cycles and that um, that we are all finite at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And during that that period, I mean, you don't think about this as a little kid. Is what is the meaning of all this, and what have I meant? What am I being called to do within the context of that? And it also makes me think a little bit about how how much times have changed because you don't see dogs running around and to be able to walk with you to school unleashed Mm -hmm. and then meet you at their will and roaming the school grounds at will (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, it doesn't happen that does not happen today today you'd have SWAT teams taking the dogs away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it was a different time. It was a slower pl- place time. Um, and we had, I remember uh, during that era we, era, we had one channel on TV. So that was a different time and place. Yeah. Yeah. It was a time where we spent our summers in the woods and the creeks and the forest and camping and playing and having all these great, great experiences. And everybody in our neighborhood, I don't know of any of our neighbors that didn't have dogs. What do you see from your experience as a kid with your neighborhood dogs and your personal dogs. How do you see God in that? I've thought about that question a lot. And I think more than how do I see God in that, how do I see our place within God's world with that? Okay. And I think that one of the things that dogs do is that dogs connect us to something other than ourselves and to other human beings and remind us that we are inextricably linked together, that all of the natural world, we're all part of it. And dogs, I think, particularly in contemporary American society, um, I could argue that for cats as well. Um, my wife made me get a plug-in for cats, by the way. Oh, good. Uh, so, but I think that dogs remind us that there are there are things other than us that we are we are called to be a part of and to care for, and that, that we are all part of this creation that God has has blessed us with. And that's part of your your studies right now for fun. Uh, Some pretty in-depth study about Genesis. So how does your study of Genesis kind of inform us about that love and nurture and care that we're to have? I'm still a neophyte in this. I'm still translating Genesis from the original Hebrew. But um, one of the things that struck me in the beginning of Genesis, when we, we, we hear in the very first birth, in the beginning, that God's spirit hovered over the face of the waters. Well, when you do a deep dive into the word study there, one of the things that that pops up and comes out of that, and when you do word studies, you see how is that word used in other parts of the the Old Testament, and how was it used within context of of that time, and this was a time before time, but how how did the the writers of the text, the Masoretic text, 
use those words. And when we do those word study, one of the things that pops out there is that hovering over the water is an image of a mother hen brooding over her chicks. Interesting. And that when danger comes, the hen's wings go out and the chicks run under those wings for protection. And that's that connotation there in God hovering over those waters. It's God's hovering, hovering over us. Wow, what a picture does that paint? And how we see that play out in the animal kingdom with the adults and their young and also in our families as well. And the relationships that we develop through time with our family, through with our neighbor and our community that you had. Yeah, and related to earlier that I'm going to be out in Montana in June for a couple of weeks hiking in a very remote part of Montana. I'm hiking with a, a friend of mine, a guy named Gary Ferguson, who is a naturalist and author who spent a lot of time in that part of the world. And Gary has written about the wolves when the wolves were reintroduced into in that, to that part of the world and the observations that were made in, in the animal kingdom and how the wolves live in community, how the alpha male will go out with the pack and hunt, but then always bring it back. And, and the community cares for the pups. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like the neighborhood I grew up with when I told you about Moo Moo's yeah. area in Klein Road, North Carolina, is that it was a, a community that took care of everyone. Yeah. Uh, and so nature teaches us that, mm-hmm. is that we're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, we have this notion, and I grew up with it, of the rugged individual. I'm not so certain that's a, a good narrative for us. Mm-hmm. Fitting within the context of, okay, what does your ruggedness bring to the community? The alpha male in the wolf pack mm-hmm. is quite the rugged male. Oh, absolutely. But he is essential to the community. He's essential to mm-hmm. the community and a guardian of that community. Right. right. And they, they don't put their, their old away. They keep the old in the community through mm-hmm. the old die. Right, right. So it's, it's fascinating study. Elephants the same way. Elephants uh, uh, teach each other how to be in community. Well, Dick, I also want to visit with you a little bit about your experience raising and using hunting dogs. But before we do that, I want to take a little bit of a break and tell you and our listeners about Kendall County Abstract, our sponsor today. Kendall County Abstract has been our family's title company for 60 years. Whether a simple or a complex transaction, Kendall County Abstract provided our family and our businesses with the best service in both real estate closing and title insurance. Kendall County Abstract will do the same for you. When you need a title company, Ashley and the Kendall County Abstract team are there to serve. Call 830-816-8131 or visit online at kcac.net. God and Our Dogs has great sponsors. Kendall County Abstract, Wheeler's Western Outfitters, Cibolo Family Medicine, Rivers Team with Phyllis Browning, and Cibolo Creek Vet Hospital. Because of them, we get to give one of our lucky listeners a treat each month. This month, it is a $100 Amazon gift card. Go to our website, God and Our Dogs, to enter. The winner will be announced there at the end of each month. That's GodInOurDogs.com for an Amazon gift card treat. Discover a new perspective. God and Our Dogs. This is Andra Weijan, and you're listening to God and Our Dogs on Bernie Radio 103.9 FM. We are back on God and Our Dogs with Dick Powell, retired pastor, 
president of Mo Ranch Convention Center and Camp and successful businessman and a current candidate for fun with his doctorate of theology. Before the break, Dick told us about his childhood dog friends, Moo Moo and Chippy, and the importance of community. Well, Dick, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your experience raising hunting dogs, training them, and working with them. My dad was not a hunter or nor a fisherman. My mother's closest friend in high school married a guy named Alan Grimstead, who had three daughters who wanted nothing to do with hunting and fishing. So I became <laughs> Alan's surrogate son. Uh-huh. And I was a, Alan not so much, but I, I did two types of hunting primarily, quail hunting and duck hunting. And uh, I never had uh, dogs for, for duck hunting because my friends had dogs for that. But quail hunting, I actually belonged to a hunting club in North Carolina that was a deer hunting club, but I didn't shoot deer. I was a member because they we had a thousand acres and we leased that thousand acres. And from January 2nd to February 28th, after that was the quail season, deer season had gone out. So I had that thousand acres to myself awesome. for, for quail hunting. But we raised English setters, and we had we were just very fortunate to have gotten a strand that were really really good dogs. And Jake was the oldest dog. Alan had been in Saudi Arabia for five years, came back, found Jake. Uh, I was in high school at the time, and so we started. I had an English setter, and Jake was the the father of of our dogs. We had a mated, and we'd get a pup out of the litter. And Jr. was was one of Jake's first pups. Jake was a great hunt great bird dog we tr- we would train the the dogs using a, a quail swing on a on a bamboo fishing pole and have it out there and get the dogs on point so the dogs could get on point and learn how to the point and it becomes almost natural with them to do this instinctive i looked for and i could not find it meg a picture of jr at five weeks old on point oh my goodness but one of the things <laughs> that we learned early on if you really want to teach that young dog how to hunt, put them with an older dog. Uh-huh. And that older dog teaches that younger dog how to hunt. And so as those dogs mature, and particularly like season two, season three with them in particular, they start to hunt on their own. I remember one time I was I was hunting with JR, and I lost him. I was by myself. I had JR and I. We were hunting, and I couldn't find him. And I wandered around and wandered around. It must have been five or six minutes. And I, he had been on point so long that he finally just sat down on the ground, <laughs> but was still on point. He was uh, waiting for me. He you. was waiting for me. <laughs> that great, you know, discipline and patience that, frankly, I wish I'd had more of back then. Yeah. Well, Dick, this is just fascinating to me that you all use this training technique of using the older dogs in the proper setting to teach the young, younger <clears throat> dogs. Yep. What can we learn about that as far as our Christian walk? I have a friend who lives in Lusaka, Zambia named uh, Isaac Banda, and uh, he was in seminary with me, and he's a pastor there. Actually, he's an associate dean at Houston Mawali University there now, but I learned something from him that I think I can relate back to coming to that. In Zambia, we'll ask somebody, how are you? And they'll say, oh, I'm fine. And in Zambia, they say, how are you? And they'll say, well, I'm okay if you're okay. Uh-huh. Because they live within the context of this community that teaches, trains up, and nurtures. Well, when you're doing that with dogs, it's, it's the same thing. You could see, maybe I'm seeing more there than I could see the pride in Jake's eyes as he saw J.R. 
progress mm-hmm. and being part of that group. And those dogs were just, they were inseparable, even though they didn't live together. You could see the joy when they came back together. And it was almost a JR had this, or Jake had this passionate desire to make sure that gave to JR the skills that he had so that JR could become the dog that he was. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were both great bird dogs. Yeah. It- really makes me think about what Jesus said about his yoke being easy. Mm-hmm. And yoke really was what the rabbi's teachings were. Mm-hmm. It's not the yoke, you know, you think oxen yoke right. together. And that really makes me think of that relationship with those dogs, that Jesus wanted to have that same kind of relationship, not only with his disciples, but with other people that he encountered, and even with us, you know, 2,000 years later. Yeah, you notice Jesus didn't turn people away. Right. And he went to where they were, Mm -hmm. um, and he listened to them with a compassionate, loving heart. Didn't necessarily tell them what they wanted to hear, but he listened. Yes. Had that great compassion. Yes, that's so true. And, you know, Dick, it makes me also think about um, what you were able to do at Mo Ranch, noticing that there was an absence of kids coming from the valley area of Texas up to the hill country, which is six, seven hour drive away. And you were able to bring camp to them. Tell us a little bit about how you did that. Yeah, I, um, we were having a retreat for pastors uh, at Mo Ranch. And I had some friends who, I have some friends who were pastors and still are pastors in the Rio Grande Valley. And I asked them at dinner one night why we didn't have children from the Rio Grande Valley coming to Mo. And I thought, you know, it's five and a half, six hours drive. Valley is one of the poorest parts of this country, so the kids don't have a lot of money. And so I thought maybe it's money. All of those things we could overcome. I mean, I'd send a bus to the valley and pick them up necessarily, or I'd, we could raise scholarship money, which we did. That, that wasn't the point. The point was that... Um, their parents may or may not be documented, and which meant that coming up through Fall Furious at the checkpoint there, the parents, if something happened to the children, would not be able to get to the children, mm-hmm. and they just weren't going to let that happen. Yeah. So I impulsively, and trust me, it was impulsive, I impulsively said, well, if we can't bring the children here, we'll go to the children. And then the next day, I thought to myself, how in the world am I going to do that? And things came together. I mean, you, it's God at work, and the Spirit at work moving things happen. We raised the funds. It cost $50,000 a week to put that camp on. We leased a facility down there for the week. We loaded up all of our counselors at Mo Ranch. We loaded up a bunch of our equipment at Mo Ranch. We put it on truck and put all of the counselors on a bus and we headed to the Rio Grande Valley for the week. The first year we had 40 children in camp. The next year we had uh, 70 or 80 children in camp. It was going to 100 children in camp. Then COVID hit, but the camp is up and running. We do that every year. These children, most of them cannot afford even the $25, but they, they manage it. They have to have some skin in the game. I'll give you a story of one, um, one little boy. His mother sold chicken dinners on the street to raise the money for him to be able to go to camp. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so we, um, we had another young woman uh, say to Richard uh, Baumbach, who was our director of camps, said, you know, before I came here, I was told I would never amount to anything because I'm just a girl in the valley. And not only did she amount to something, she became a counselor at Mo Ranch for a couple of summers, and she is currently enrolled in college. Before that, she had no idea that she would ever see the insides of a college. We helped arrange some scholarships for her to be able to go to college, and she's, my opinion, is going to be one of the outstanding citizens of our, our, of our country, and I'm proud to know her. 
And then another interesting thing, we had an article done uh, in the New York Times about the camp in the valley, which was also serendipitous. And the the person that was writing the article, Manny Hernandez from um, Houston, he's the uh, New York Times bureau chief there, came to me and I met him down there and we were going to do about three hours in the morning and we're going to leave right after lunch and he'd hit hit back to Houston to meet to Mo. And he said, Dick, do you mind if I stay longer? And I said, fine, Manny, but I've got to leave. And I said, why? He said, well, I've been asking the children over and over and over, what is your favorite part about camp? And their answer was closing worship closing worship. So Manny says, I've got to stay and see closing worship. So when we got the New York Times article about us on the color photo on the front, there's their picture of closing worship, the Mo Ranch in the Valley. Isn't that awesome? It is is wonderful. And it's still ongoing. It's Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the, I think, the best accidents I've ever had. (laughs) Well, if somebody wanted to learn more about Mo Ranch and even the camp in the Valley, how would they do that? You can go to the Mo Ranch's website. You just um, Google um, MoRanch.com uh, or Mo Ranch Presbyterian Mo Ranch, and it'll pop, it'll pop up it'll on pop Google. Up. Well, Dick, the time has just gone so fast. It's amazing to me. <laughs> but every time you sit down with somebody to talk about two of my favorite subjects, God and dogs, time just goes so quickly. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Meg. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome, and we wish you the best on your fun pursuit of your doctorate. It really is. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, before we close today, um, I'd like to leave us with a thought to ponder. And yes, that's P-A-W-N-D-E-R. Today we heard about a training technique in which older, more experienced hunting dogs modeled for younger dogs what it took to be an effective hunting dog. My thought to ponder is, who has God put in my life to model the abundant life in Christ. What can I do to be a more effective example? Let me know what you think after you ponder. Email stories at godandourdogs.com. And here's a bonus thought to ponder. How is your dog relying on you today? Maybe God wants you to rely on him the same way. This is Meg Greer. You've been listening to God and Our Dogs. I appreciate all of you and thank you for joining us. Listen to God and Our Dogs again on your favorite podcast site. Follow our posts at hashtag God and Our Dogs or find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook at God and Our Dogs. This is Meg Greer. Please join me again for some new perspective for relying on God the way our dogs rely on us. Discover a new perspective. God and our dogs. God and our dogs.com. Hi, I'm Ashley Pfeiffer, and since 1916, Kendall County Abstract's goal is to be the premier title company in Kendall County. Kendall County Abstract provides real estate closing services and title insurance to both individuals and businesses. All work and research are done in-house. So when you have questions and want high-quality service, Kendall County Abstract is ready to help. Call 830-816-2131 or find us at kcac.net.